0: You're listening to KCBS in depth.
1: People are beginning to wake up to the downside of the tech world yeah. the people places and issues
2: the bay area is talking about we need to find ways to share this wealth so that people aren't suffering on the streets you're giving your time to help others and in the
0: process it helps you as well the more people who see what happens over in the courthouse and know what's really going on people would really be horrified this is
2: KCBS in depth
0: In the face of this pandemic, much of the Bay Area is sheltering in place, but for those without a home, that's simply not possible.
1: We're far away from any kind of medical help, so yeah, we're kind of scared here.
0: For months now, advocates and activists have been raising alarms about the special dangers faced by the Bay Area's homeless residents. If this is broken out in these camps, You don't have to be a CDC official to tell you the outcome of some of this. In fact, a lot of work has been done. Hotel rooms have been secured. Shelters have stepped up social distancing. Health workers have been deployed to encampments. But in the face of these historic risks, will all this work be enough? I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In Depth, and today on the program, we're going to get the view from one researcher who's worried it won't be. Her team just released a study applying some science to these questions, and based on their findings, they say that our efforts to protect this vulnerable population need to be ramped up dramatically. That researcher is Coco Auerzwald. She's a professor of community health science at UC Berkeley's School of Public Health, whose work is oftentimes focused on the health challenges of youth homelessness. Uh, she's also the lead author of this study. Professor Ourswald, thanks for joining KCBS in depth.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Keith. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Absolutely. So as we just mentioned, uh, there is an awful lot of work going on. Uh, There's the hotel rooms that are being used as shelter individuals Uh, down here in Santa Clara County. We have uh, the fairgrounds going online. We also have heard about a number of trailers that are being opened up. So definitely if you are a city or county official or if you're somebody who works in the shelter world, this is a very busy time. So I guess where I want to start this conversation is with the question what was the motivating factor that made you want to launch this research project? What what told you that these efforts perhaps needed a second look or, or some additional information?
2: Well... I agree, Keith. There is so much being done. And I was a county doc, um, you know, taking care of patients at San Francisco General Hospital for over 20 years. I'm a physician and pediatrician. And so I know full well what it's like to be at the front line of something like this. I actually was in med school during the HIV, um, the you know, the height of the HIV epidemic. When I started med school, there was not a single drug for HIV. So, um, so I know that people are doing a lot. The fact is, however, that um, the speed with which this is moving is so great, that it's really critical that we have all hands on board to address this, because every day matters in a way that has not been the case in any health challenge that I've, I've ever experienced in uh, 25 years of being a physician.
0: Yeah, an unprecedented challenge. And Uh, At the same time, maybe you could also provide some context for our listeners that haven't been following this issue closely, why it is that homeless residents are thought to be so much more vulnerable than those who do have homes.
2: Absolutely. So homeless residents are, uh, first of all, it's nothing new that homeless residents are uh, more vulnerable to infections and to poor health. Um, The COVID pandemic is just showing us that that's even, uh, you know, is just bringing more attention to that and so and that includes um the fact of being um being homeless of being outdoors and also of being in large congregate shelters or being in housing settings like if people are couch surfing where they don't have control over their space and so um Large congregate, I can talk more about why large congregate shelters are unsafe um, and also about why unsheltered settings are unsafe. But both of those are settings where people experiencing homelessness cannot practice social distancing. And so, because they can't practice social distancing and because they can't reduce the chance of transmission of infection, to themselves and from themselves to others, they are more likely to get sick, and they're also more likely to maintain the infection in our community.
0: Right. And uh, just add on top of all that, the uh, higher prevalence of underlying health conditions in this population that makes folks even uh, more vulnerable to illness. Now, your report looked at a lot of different factors, including the risks within homeless shelters, the risks for people living on the street, reviewed all the relevant science, uh, and it also came up with uh, a number of different recommendations. So I was hoping we could tick through a couple of them. You've already alluded to them in a couple of different ways. But maybe we could start with uh, something that may be surprising to some folks. Uh, you feel that there is a great deal of urgency in getting as many people as possible out of congregate shelters. That is shelters where many people are uh, living in close proximity to one another. So why Why is that urgent to you uh, while, you know, at the same time, uh, counties are opening up some Congregate shelters to get people off the streets?
2: Yes, I think getting people off the street is really important, but it's also really important to get people into settings that are safe. Um, So there are some limitations to the guidelines that were initially written um, by the CDC. Talking about the CDC guidelines? Yes, and adopted by others. And so those limitations have assumed a few things. One was that the majority or most people were still uninfected and two that maintaining a distance of six feet was um, adequate and that we could keep congregate shelters safe. The fact is that now... Um, it's unlikely in the Bay Area that there are any shelters that aren't affected. And uh, once a case has come up in a shelter, it means we're already a few weeks behind in protecting the folks in that shelter. So um, so unsheltered populations are infected. And the conditions under which people are living in shelters are conditions that not only don't keep them safe, they actually increase um their risk so our, um there are very good data looking at the spread of virus in the air and so this isn't really a question of a political opinion this is a question of as a, an epidemiologist colleague of mine says it's just the laws of physics uh not the laws of society and so um the aerosol spread and the droplet spread of the virus goes from um the droplet spread goes about um, a shorter distance, maybe six feet to 10 feet, but the aerosol spread, so that is the spread of the virus not attached to any water molecules, goes out to about 28 feet. And um, because you can't staple masks to people's faces, That means that those indoor areas are going to be unsafe, pretty much no matter what measures you make. And so that's why we say that people need to be um, in rooms with walls and doors so that um, they can be protected from other folks who are infected and so that they will not infect others. Um, And the other thing is that we didn't understand when these guidelines were first put out. I think it's hard for us to realize how much we've learned in the last four weeks, but we didn't realize the degree of uh, asymptomatic spread. And so the idea that we can check who's safe by doing screening is unfortunately untrue and as each day goes by we're realizing more and more how much asymptomatic spread takes place and so that means that we need to really change our paradigm and instead of thinking about putting away folks who are infected or sick into hotels to protect everyone else from them what we need to do is put everyone in hotels, including people who aren't sick, and actually take the people who we know to be infected, we know to be positive, to be in Probably congregate like field settings where it's not relevant that they could infect each other, so they could be monitored and cared for, and um, we could prevent rapid advance of disease for the minority of folks who do get sick.
0: All right, so a lot of interesting points that you're making right there. I want to dig into a couple of them real quick uh, in just one second. But first, I want to remind listeners that you are listening to KCBS in depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond today on the program keeping homeless residents safe during a time of pandemic. We're speaking with one researcher who says our current efforts are not up to the task. That guest is Coco Aurswald. She's a professor of community health science at UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. So based on that recommendation, it sounds like what you're calling for is ramping up to a great degree, the rate at which we're getting homeless folks into uh, hotels and motels.
2: Yes. And I, I, would want to add a little more nuance to that suggestion because, or to that recommendation, hotels I think will be necessary for the majority of individuals to be able to shelter in place or quarantine um, safely. However, um, there are settings where um, moving folks to hotels is neither necessary nor um, appropriate so we have some congregate settings where like transitional housing settings where folks do have their own room, but um, they are not quite up to the task because maybe they're sharing bathrooms or they're sharing kitchens. And so for those folks, similarly to hotels, we could be delivering meals and we could also, because they wouldn't have their own bathroom like they would in a hotel, do very frequent uh, bathroom cleaning, really, you know, every 90 minutes to two hours cleaning of bathrooms to prevent transmission. Mm,
0: but the, the the key here, just to put a fine point on it, is to get as many people into their own rooms as possible.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So that sets the table a little bit for this conversation. I wanna uh, welcome on another person to the program now. Our next guest, Sam Cobbs, he's the chief executive of Tipping Point Community. That is an initiative supporting programs that reduce homelessness throughout the Bay Area. Uh, Welcome to the program, Sam Cobbs.
1: Thank you for having me, Keith.
0: So you have been in close contact with a number of different organizations throughout the Bay Area and hearing from them how they are stepping up their services during uh, this time of crisis. And I wanted to get your perspective on what is going well and what's not going well and what you think should be done to meet some of these challenges that we just laid out right there as somebody who is uh, very much in touch with the folks that have the boots on the ground at the moment. So uh, you just heard some of the recommendations that were put out there. Curious, what would your vision be uh if if we really could you know achieve all the goals in this in this project what would that look like in terms of keeping uh the bay area's homeless residents safe
1: thank you Uh, thank you keith again for the for the invite and so i think you know as we as we think about the current crisis that we're in and what it would um what i think it should look like and how we're going to get our our way out of it the first thing that we have to begin to think about is that um Advocates like me and those um uh, that work and lead and, and work in the organizations that we provide um, grants and support to at, at tipping point have always said that homelessness is a uh public health issue, not just a housing issue and so I think what we 're seeing from the from the covid nineteen crisis that we 're in is that that is definitely hammering it hammering it home for us, and so that 's the first thing that I would. Ask viewers to to think about: uh, If you are homeless, you are not healthy. Uh, there is there is no way that you can be healthy if you're continuing to sleep out on the street or uh, going from couch to couch. The second thing is that we we really need to have an have an all in have an all in approach uh, to not only uh, stop the spread of COVID nineteen and so, but also how do we move meticulate the ball down the field to, to have a huge impact on what's happening from, uh, with the homeless population in general. And so the worst thing that I think we can do is, one, move people uh, into hotels uh, that are temporary uh, placements that are just while we are trying to flatten the curve. And then in two months or three months, move all of those individuals uh, back to the street, and so it is thinking about how do we not only think about what's happening right now in our response mode, uh, but how what it is that we're thinking about in our rebuild in our rebuild mode, and how do we use this this crisis as a real opportunity to cut the number of people who are who are living on our streets in the Bay Area. Hmm.
0: And so, Sam Cobbs, uh, when you hear Professor Aurswald talk about the ramp-up in the effort to get more people into hotel rooms, it sounds like you have some reservations about uh, sending a lot more people that way. I mean, there, there, there is a little bit of a disagreement in terms of how this work should look. On the one hand, you have uh, some folks that are saying you got to get the people off the street as fast as you possibly can. And even if there isn't the supportive staff in place to help them out, you know, the, the health crisis is so urgent that you just have to send them anyway. And then you have uh, other folks that are saying that, you know, without the supportive staff, the cure could be worse than the disease. And you're not really helping anybody, especially given the fact that a lot of these folks are suffering from mental illness and and other afflictions that uh, face people on the street. So where do you come down uh, in that debate?
1: Yes. So where I come down on that debate, just because it's fast doesn't mean it's good, um, and so we need to move people in uh, in into their own settings. And I agree with what Dr. Arnold Wallace has said about you know the more we can. Uh, move people into their own settings and, the fast, and as fast as we can do this, the better it's going to be for public health. At the same time, we understand that uh, our unhoused neighbors have been living on the street, some of them for a very long time, and that we're dealing with co-occurring disorders around uh, some mental health, some substance, uh, some substance abuse. And so I think we have to be measured. And moving people in, yes, as fast as we can and as efficient as we can, but with the appropriate services around them, so that we're not uh, that we're not putting them in in more risk uh from total isolation, their mental health needs going going unmonitored and, and unmedicated as well as their as well as substance abuse issues and so I agree with let's move them in as fast as we can, but can we put the appropriate supportive services around them? In addition to that, Keith, it is, um, depending on how long someone has been homeless and living out on the street, it is incredibly hard to sometimes convince them to move indoors. Once you get them indoors, that is a very key moment to, uh, to have them never go back out on the street, uh, never go back out on the street again, and just moving people in without the supportive services, without the counseling, without also thinking about what happens at the end. Um, at the end of this, we miss a key opportunity uh, to move that person into permanent housing. And so one of the things that we are pushing and promoting at at Tipping Point is let's do more of what we call kind of scattered site housing, a scattered site housing model that has a mix of public and private dollars uh, to move people into permanent housing uh, with supportive services around them. There are vacant, there are as many vacant apartments uh, right now in the Bay Area. On some level, that's, we have um, vacant hotel rooms. And so if we can use a permanent approach versus a temporary approach, that will help us solve our issues, both from a public health perspective right now, as well as a long-term homeless perspective.
2: All
0: right. Let's uh, pick up a couple of those points in just a second. One last time, though, I want to remind our listeners that they are listening to KCBS In Depth today we're taking a closer look at the efforts to keep the Bay Area's homeless population safe during this pandemic. We are speaking to Coco Hourswald. She's a professor of community health science at UC Berkeley School of Public Health, as well as Sam Cobbs. He once again is the chief executive of Tipping Point Community, an initiative supporting programs reducing homelessness throughout the Bay Area. So turning back to you, Professor Hourswald, you heard a couple of the points that uh, Sam Cobbs was making there. I'm wondering if you could take on First of all, the resource constraint, and we've been hearing this not just from Sam Cobbs, but obviously from a lot of local officials as well, saying that they're moving as fast as they can and they're trying to ramp up these services and these hotels and all the different uh, methods of keeping homeless people safe as fast as they can. But, you know, this is this is a very difficult challenge and we're working in uh, very time-cramped uh, conditions. What do you make of the resource constraints? Do you think that it is possible to get as many homeless folks into hotels as you'd like to, given these constraints.
2: I think that uh, California showed the way to ending HIV. California has made dramatic advances um, in very difficult to solve problems. Um, And we have the solution to this. It's not rocket science. And I actually think that we can do this while addressing the concerns that um, Sam breaks up. And you know, as we mentioned to you earlier, Keith, I've known Sam a long time and have tremendous uh, respect for him and the work for the tipping point community. Um, I think we have to get out of certain mindsets in order to move forward. And there are some bottlenecks that we've artificially created that we don't need to have. So one is the bottleneck of focusing on the sickest folks, the, you know, stereotypical folks who are, you know, partially unclothed uh you know screaming in the street not connected to reality um, and those folks are in the minority um, so nationally the majority of people have been homeless for less than a year. Uh, unfortunately, here in the Bay Area, that's not the case. However, um, the I'm convinced, certainly in the youth community and um, in talking to my adult uh, frontline uh, providers, I'm convinced that the majority of adults who have been taking care of themselves on the street on a daily basis would only do better if they had access to a bed, a door, and a private bathroom, and three meals a day. Um, and that uh, they would actually need very little additional services other than having folks come by and monitor them who could be outreach workers or even uh, folks exiting homelessness who have recently lost their jobs who could be trained to do outreach with backup for crisis situations. So I think we cannot be... uh, dissuaded by the challenges that are presented by the folks who are the sickest. I think we have to address substance use head-on. There are some real challenges there. And without getting into detail, those challenges have been worked out. There are at least four national organizations listed in our report who have described ways to address this issue. And um, this is being done in multiple cities, including in Boston. And I would argue that the cost of not doing that is, in fact, more, uh, more dangerous, both in terms of loss of life and in terms of actual um, financial cost. Um, so just like with HIV, where we hesitated about what we really needed to do to address the behavioral and structural factors and wanted to focus on the medical. Medical factors um, like testing or meds or uh, vaccines, we lost a lot of valuable time, and so I think we need to do both. And uh, we won't um, we won't be able to address this um, otherwise.
0: Mm. Well, uh, turning things back to Sam Cobbs with uh, Tipping Points Community, wondering if you could give us any perspective on the pace that this work is taking place at uh, right now in terms of just how many people are being moved into these more safe single room shelters?
1: Yeah. So, so Keith, uh, in San Francisco alone, um, the city is estimating and has actually gotten um, 8,000 hotel rooms for for homeless. But if we're talking about 8,000 hotel rooms, and if we're moving in hundred a uh, hundred people per day, which is essentially what San Francisco is doing right now, even after even after 10 days, uh, you only have a thousand people, you only have a thousand people in. And so just the massive scale of what it is that um, we're trying to do, that the providers are trying to do, that the city is trying to do, it is this is just a huge scale. And so when you're talking about moving in uh, as someone who has, been on the front lines and been a provider myself, and working with those who are homeless and those who are formerly homeless. Just the amount of coordination that has to happen to move in a hundred people, uh, to make sure that their stuff is safe, to make sure that they're safe, uh, is a huge is a huge undertaking. Not saying that we can't do it. Not saying that we have to. Uh, that we maybe don't need to double that or even triple that in a day. Uh, to get through this, to get through this crisis, um, but it is a huge undertaking. It is a huge, uh, it is a huge scale. And then the final piece on that, which is one of the reasons we've started a project with City of San Francisco, is we already had, as we were talking about layoffs in the Bay Area and people getting in, and people getting laid off and their hours getting cut. Well, when it came down to homeless providers and homeless services, they were already dealing with a, with a worker shortage. Uh, That we didn't have enough staff to provide um, adequate services for all of the homeless services that we already were providing in the city. And so that's one of the reasons why Tipping Point has partnered with uh, the city of San Francisco and hired recruiters to go out and to hire and then train um, people to come in and help us uh, with this huge undertaking. So I think those are the types of things that we're doing, I think, just like with anything else, when you start to do it, in the beginning is going to be slow. Um, but as you get more experience doing it, you're go- it's going to pick up. Uh, but I think the, the urgency of this, of this issue that we're in, the urgency of COVID, that I want to make sure that we're going as fast as we can possibly go, uh, but not too fast, where we're putting people at greater risk, and so there's a there's a needle to be thread there, uh, and depending on who you are, where you come from, what your perspective is, um, you we may not always agree on how fast is too fast, how slow is too slow uh, as we go as we go forward. But what we do agree on is that it is much better to be inside than outside, even when there isn't a pandemic, and that. Uh, the more people that we can get inside in the right conditions, uh, will help us not only ease this pandemic, but begin to cut our the number of our homeless or unhoused neighbors uh, in our communities as well.
0: So, if if you're skeptical about the the pace that we can ramp up uh, some of this this transfer work, just given the uh, staffing constraints that we have, are there any uh, better near term? projects that we could be taking on? Are there are there any other steps that you think we could be taking right now that could address uh, some of the immediate health concerns that we've been talking about?
1: Yeah. And again, I think, thank you, Keith. I think the, the best thing to do is, again, everyone, you're, you're much better off when you are inside um, versus outside. And so, but we also have to, uh, I believe, an, an all-in approach to it. And so that what is it that we can do for the different uh, diverse populations that we have. And as as Coco said, there are some um that we're definitely gonna need to move into hotel into hotel rooms so that they have um the the sanitation, the bathrooms, all of the things that they're going to need to stay healthy. There are others who uh as Coco said, may be able to stay in small congregate in small congregate settings. And so are there other small congregate settings that we don't, that we haven't necessarily opened up yet that we can actually do? The other piece of this, Keith, is, is not only just from a, from a staff perspective, as with everything in our society, some things come back to money. And so when I am pushing for, and when Tipping Point and its providers are pushing for a much more permanent solution that we can do permanent as fast as we can do temporary, the issue with that becomes money. And what I mean by that is that although the federal government and the state government has been um, has poured a bunch of money into our economy around in as well as homelessness, but they will reimburse for hotel rooms, but not necessarily to move the the fragile and our most vulnerable neighbors into hotel rooms, but not necessarily reimburse the counties in our in our city governments for moving people into housing that can become permanent uh, down the line. And so there is also a policy piece to this um, that we need to tackle as well. And so I think there is a false kind of dichotomy between what uh, what my good friend Coco and I are are thinking about, that we're both talking about an all-in approach and that we need to use everything that we have at our disposal for the people who will who need a diverse set of interventions to help us uh, get through this crisis, and to begin to tackle uh, the homeless crisis, one that has plagued our community, especially here in the Bay Area, um, for as long as I can remember, since I moved here uh, in 1997.
0: All right. Well, I just have two very quick questions before we wrap up uh, for you, uh, Professor Hourswald. So we just heard about the all-in approach that Sam Cobbs is talking about. Just give our listeners a sense of what would an all-in approach look like uh, briefly. Are, are we talking about, you know, what the home effort looked like when we went off to war in World War II? How, how, how widespread would we expect this effort to be if it was really meeting these goals?
2: I'll address that and respond to what Sam had to say because I think it's important to do. So the first is that a all-in approach for San Francisco, which is a brilliant city in terms of knowledge and also a city that relative to other cities is highly resourced, cannot even begin to be close to 100 people a day. Um, that is so paltry. Um, especially given the number of programs we have, um, when we're really just talking about bringing people to safety in rooms that are open right now. So I think that that should be ramped up to closer to 500 or 1000 a day. And I think that can be done by not being focused on deservedness and by recognizing that every human being needs to be protected for their well-being and for ours. Um, Because if people stay infected and vulnerable in the community, we will not be able to release shelter in place. Um, So we have to ramp up massively. The other thing is that we need to understand as a community that actually the current system we have is the most expensive system possible. So the idea that it costs us between $750,000 and $1 million per young person uh, who we leave on the street in their lifetime in social costs So for the twelve hundred youth who are on the street tonight in San Francisco, and that's pre-COVID, so it's probably higher now. It costs us one billion dollars in their lifetime to not address this issue. So, just in
0: terms of the extra ER visits and the uh, ER visits, social
2: costs, lost taxes, um, it's better for all of us that all these young people become tax-paying citizens. And I think also there is a there I. I disagree, as a physician in public health, that um, that we are. As a community putting people at risk by putting them inside, um, I think it's and I recognize the concerns about overdose, etc, but the the population level risk the the uh, the risk to us as a community is higher, and I think Sam also was saying this if we leave people outside versus inside, there's absolutely no doubt about it, regardless of the level of staffing for the vast majority of those people. So I think we have to stop getting stuck on, um, you know, the perfect being any of the good. And I also think that I think it was someone told me this morning, Churchill said, don't waste a good crisis. If we don't harvest, just like Sam is saying, the silver lining of this by recognizing that by putting a large population of folks at risk, we're going to hurt our own health. will be a mistake and there are even though we're seeing folks in asia uh, and pointing to them as being super successful they're seeing that their most marginalized populations who are living in a situation similar to shelters have actually caused them to uh, back up on their options has caused them to have another spike Um, A second peak in infections has caused them to have to stop to start sheltering in place again because the needs of that population was of their most excluded folks was not addressed. So we have to do this for them and for us.
0: All right. Uh, Really important perspectives that we got from both of you. I think uh, given the timing, we're going to have to leave it there. But uh, we do thank you both very much for joining us today. We were speaking to Coco Auerzwald. She, one last time, is a professor of community health science at UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. Professor Auerzwald, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to Sam. It's lovely to see you and hear you.
0: And uh, yeah, of course, we were also joined by Sam Cobbs, the chief executive of Tipping Point Community. Uh, Sam, you raised a lot of good points about how this could potentially lead to a lot of people staying in permanent housing. So uh, I hope in a few months we'll be able to have that conversation and you'll join us for that one as well.
1: Yes, definitely. Thank you, Keith. And uh, Dr. Coco, is always, great to talk with you.
0: Thanks to both of you one last time. And thank you all for listening for KCBS and In-Depth. I'm Keith Mancone. Be well. We'll see you next time.